0: Hey Conjurers! I'm Steph.
1: And I'm Sham.
0: The holidays are often a time of joy and community. But for people in abusive relationships, the holidays can be stressful and dangerous. For many couples, the night before Thanksgiving is spent double-checking the pantry and preparing for family to arrive for a joyous day of gratitude. For one couple in 2006, it was spent fighting and ended with one woman's desperate attempt at escape. Ashley Scott was born on November 4, 1978, and grew up in Bossier City, Louisiana. She graduated from a Baptist university in Arkansas in 2000. She was very popular and very social. She was smart, well-liked, and full of life. Her family was very close, and she grew up surrounded by love. While in college, Ashley met Jeffrey Scott, and the couple instantly clicked. Ashley's friends didn't really get it. He seemed shy and kind of standoffish, nothing like Ashley's friendly, outgoing personality. Shortly after their first date, Jeff became Ashley's whole world, and she started pulling away from her family. As long as she was happy, they supported her. They figured she was just starting a new chapter in her life. A few years later, the couple got married and moved to Memphis, Tennessee, so Jeff could take a job at his dad's tech firm. Her friends and family were shocked that they hadn't even been invited to the wedding. In Tennessee, she got a job as a high school teacher. Peers called her an inspiring colleague and her students called her a role model. Ashley's friends visited them once they got settled in their new home to make sure everything was okay. At the time, the relationship seemed normal and happy. No yelling or crying, so they wished her well and went back to Louisiana. But when Ashley returned home alone for a visit, friends said it was a different story. They could hear him talking to her over the phone, and he wasn't being very nice. It sounded like he thought he deserved better than her, that he was above her in some way. After that visit, Ashley stopped coming around, and her family stopped hearing from her altogether. Her sister said it was as if Jeff had some sort of control over her mind. Friends in Memphis said Ashley and Jeff had some issues. They had a tendency to drink a little too much and fight sometimes. According to friends, though, they were trying to get the marriage back on track. They were in the process of buying a new house and they were even trying to have a baby. That's when it all got so much worse.
1: Any man determined to ruin your getaway trip over the phone by choosing to fight with you is a red flag in itself. Also, when will people learn that a baby isn't going to make your relationship less toxic? All you're doing now is choosing to bring a little human into a bad situation. Stop doing that. They had all the
0: classic signs of an abusive relationship. Isolate her, controlled her, and made her feel worthless.
1: I'm sure it only went downhill from there.
0: Of course. On Thanksgiving Day, November 23rd, 2006, at around 2.30 p.m., Jeff Scott calmly called his friend, Dr. Robert McGee, and asked him to come and check on his wife. Robert hesitated. It was Thanksgiving, and he was in the car with his wife and kids heading home. Robert didn't want his family around what he assumed was another alcohol-infused fight between the couple. Jeff told him not to rush, but to definitely come over when he can. Robert dropped his family off and headed over, but when he got there, he found Ashley motionless on the floor, badly beaten. He urged Jeff to call 911 while he started CPR. As cool and collected as if he was telling a friend what he had done last weekend, he told the 911 operator that his wife was unconscious. She asked if his wife was breathing, and he replied, yes. In the background, she heard Robert say, she's dead. The 911 operator asked if the man in the background had said she was dead. Jeff replied, yes. That's what he said. Confused, she responded, you said she was breathing. Completely unaffected, Jeff replied she was a second ago.
1: Oh my god, he's the worst.
0: What a smug asshole. He's
1: evil. I mean, all the proof was already laid out. His nonchalant attitude was the cherry on top.
0: When police arrived on the scene, they could tell from just one look that Ashley had been severely beaten. They immediately detained Jeff in the police car and looked around the house. Ashley's phone, passport, and purse were sitting on the table in the kitchen. A printed out email was laying next to the computer. In the garage, there were two cars. Inside Ashley's car were piles of clothes still on hangers. On the ground next to the car were a pillow and a blanket and what looked like bloodstains. Paramedics noticed trauma to her head, legs, chest, and back. She had no pulse. There was bloody vomit coming from her mouth and nose, and the paramedic also noticed that she had cauliflower ear, which is usually associated with boxers who take repeated brutal hits to the ear over long periods of time. He directed the police to take a photo of a bruise that appeared to be a shoe print on her back. Using a defibrillator, they were able to get her heart beating again, but only faintly. She was rushed to the hospital in critical condition, but they discovered that due to the head trauma, Ashley was brain dead. They removed her from the ventilator and pronounced her dead at 7.52 p.m. The medical examiner agreed with the paramedics that her injuries were consistent with a severe beating, but also noticed that the bruises were in various stages of healing, suggesting a pattern of long-term abuse. The autopsy documented more than 50 bruises covering her entire body. Her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the right side of her head. The most heartbreaking part of her tragic end was that if she had received medical attention earlier when she was first attacked, she would have lived. She was left to lay in that condition for more than 12 hours before Jeff called for help, and by then it was too late. Police went through the house and gathered evidence of what was now a murder scene. They took a dog kennel, a carpet sample, three pairs of men's shoes, and a letter written by Ashley.
1: She was likely being beaten for days before she decided to pack up and leave, which I'd like to remind people is the most dangerous time to leave a domestic violence relationship. You have to be extremely careful, and it's often better to just leave with nothing but a bag. Don't pack, and don't leave when they're around. Do not give them a heads up. That's excellent advice.
0: He had clearly been abusing her for a long time, and it escalated as it so often does in these situations. The fact that he left her lying there slowly dying for over 12 hours makes me feel sick.
1: What was Jeff's pathetic excuse?
0: Jeff was charged with first-degree murder. He told the police that the night before Thanksgiving, he and Ashley were drinking and had argued over a text message she received that she wouldn't let him read. He claimed that after the argument, he forced her to sleep in the garage, throwing a pillow and blanket at her and going back to their bed alone. Her injuries told a different story. The fight got violent early Thanksgiving morning, not the night before. Judging from the passport and clothes, it looked like Ashley was hastily packing to leave him. The evidence suggested she was trying to pack her car that morning when he attacked her in the garage and left her lying there all day, unconscious and hemorrhaging on the floor. After her death, Ashley's sister gathered her things and searched her phone for this alleged text message that Jeff claimed started the fight. She didn't find any mysterious person who messaged her, and all the messages were from Jeff and no one else. Sham will tell us what secrets were revealed at Jeff's trial after this short break.
1: Jeff's trial started January 13th, of 2009, and lasted for eight days with heartbreaking stories from people who loved Ashley and wished they could have helped her. Ashley's best friend Lori testified at Jeff's trial that in November of 2005, Jeff started calling her directly complaining about Ashley. He would say she was drinking all the time, falling down, and getting hurt, then not remembering how it happened the next day. He said Ashley was spending too much time with a friend named Blair, who he considered a bad influence. It was discovered in court that Jeff was actually having an affair with Blair and several other women. Blair testified that she and Ashley had been at a bar once when Ashley met a man named Michael Lowe. Blair claimed Ashley and Michael came back to her place and had sex in her guest room, and she confessed that she called and told Jeff about it. While Jeff was the one having multiple affairs and Ashley had only had one, he told Lori that Ashley was having all the affairs and that he wanted children, but he wanted to have them with somebody where he knew it would be his. Lori was confused by these calls, since she and Jeff weren't close. She always tried to call Ashley immediately after, but she would never answer. After months of these calls, Jeff called one last time and told her that he and Ashley were in therapy, and the therapist suggested they leave Lori out of their marital issues. He never called again, and after that, Ashley started taking her calls again. She confided in Lori about her and Jeff's relationship. She told her that he didn't allow her to spend any money and got angry if she asked to buy something. She confessed that Jeff belittled her and called her a whore and a bad role model and that she shouldn't be allowed to teach. She never mentioned the physical abuse, though. He was
0: trying to turn her best friend against her and most likely wasn't allowing her to answer Lori's
1: calls, so she couldn't contradict his stories. What a complete piece of trash. Isolation is the biggest sign of domestic violence. There is no reason anyone should be keeping you from your loved ones unless they're hiding something.
0: I'm sure it only got worse from there.
1: Of course it did. In September of 2006, Ashley went back to Louisiana for her high school reunion. Jeff obsessively called her while she was gone demanding to know where she was and who she was with several times a day, even forcing her to describe to him what she was wearing. When she got home to Tennessee, Jeff told her that he had a prostitute over while she was gone. He then went through her suitcase and criticized every piece of clothing, screaming at her that she dressed like a whore. She snapped at him that maybe if she did, he wouldn't have prostitutes over. He knocked her down and stood with his foot against her throat. She begged him to stop because she couldn't breathe, and he leaned down and whispered, I don't want you to breathe. The next day, she told her mentor at school what had happened and also confessed to her drinking problem, but the mentor didn't know how to help. Paul Dooley, the department chair Ashley worked for, also knew many of Ashley's secrets. In fall of 2005, Ashley was required to inform him about her DUI. From there, she confided in him about the verbal abuse and her drinking problem. Soon he noticed things getting worse. She missed too many days at work and showed up with obvious bruises constantly. By mid-2006, Paul was becoming extremely concerned for Ashley's safety. One morning, she called him at 3 a.m. crying that she and Jeff had gotten into a fight and he had hit her and strangled her. Paul tried to talk her into leaving and calling the cops, but she refused.
0: It's hard for outsiders that suspect abuse but aren't sure how to help or try to help, but the victim isn't ready or is too afraid to leave the
1: The best you can do is provide them with resources, but be careful while doing so. An abusive person is an abusive person, whether they're your spouse or not.
0: Good point. Did Ashley have anyone that took steps to help her get out? What finally convinced her to leave that Thanksgiving?
1: The day before Thanksgiving, Ashley made a frantic call to her divorce lawyer, Rachel Songstead, who she had been secretly talking to for over a year. Rachel saw Ashley's relationship for what it really was and had been trying to help her safely leave the relationship. Ashley had been given Rachel's number by a mutual friend under the explanation that she needed a referral to a criminal lawyer that could help with her DUI. She had been charged with a DUI when Jeff got angry and forced her to drive home from a bar they were drinking at. When Ashley found out Rachel was a divorce lawyer, she asked for advice for a friend who was being abused. Rachel suspected the friend was actually Ashley herself and advised her to leave immediately. By October of 2005, Rachel and Ashley built a friendship along with a professional relationship. She told Rachel that Jeff had been hitting her since college, but that she was afraid if she ever tried to leave him, he would kill her. Late the evening before Thanksgiving, when Ashley called Rachel, she excitedly told her that she had the money for the filing fee for the divorce. Rachel told her that she was in Nashville and couldn't meet with her right away, but encouraged her to get out now. Ashley said she needed to pack her things first and asked if she thought she should tell Jeff that she was leaving. Rachel told her not to tell him anything or even pack, but just leave. Ashley said she felt that she owed him and his family an explanation for why she was leaving. Oh no, she didn't owe him or his family anything. If only
0: she had listened to her lawyer and just left without saying a word. It still would have been a dangerous time, but he would have had less opportunity to kill her.
1: I second the lawyer's advice. The best thing you can do is fill your car with your kids or just you and say you're going to the grocery store and never come back. Just keep going.
0: Act natural like it's any other day. What about the texts that Jeff said Ashley was getting the night before he killed her?
1: Did anyone find any? At the trial, the defense called to testify a technician that had recovered deleted texts from Ashley's phone. The technician testified that Ashley had sent and received several texts with Michael Lowe the night before her death, and that close to five of those had been sexual photos of her. The defense used this evidence as proof of the text Jeff had originally claimed started the argument, and to cast Ashley in a negative light as a person. They also called Ashley's gynecologist to the stand, who testified it was unlikely Ashley was really planning to leave Jeff. Apparently, Ashley had been in his office the week before asking for medication to help increase her ovulation because her and Jeff were getting serious about having a baby. Jeff's defense attorney claimed that and the fact that Ashley and Jeff had just signed papers for a new house proved that Ashley was committed to working on the relationship and wasn't trying to leave Jeff at all, which is complete bullshit. (laughs) Jeff's lawyer wasn't trying to get him off as not guilty, but he was trying to paint him in a more favorable light and hope for a second degree murder conviction. First-degree murder suggests it was planned and deliberate. Second-degree murder means it wasn't planned, but rather more of a heat-of-the-moment action. They tried to portray Jeff as a loving, innocent husband who caught his alcoholic wife cheating and snapped. Jeff's attorney ended by telling the jury that the charge doesn't fit the crime. He said his client committed the assault, but that he didn't mean to kill his wife. The prosecutor started her closing arguments with a 911 call recording where Jeff sounded vague and indifferent. The 911 call that was made nearly 13 hours after the fight between the couple. As the tape played for the jury, crime scene photos from their home flashed on the overhead projector. She wanted to counter the defense's position by showing that if he hadn't meant to kill her, he would have gotten her help. It doesn't matter what
0: she did, didn't do, or what type of person she was. No one deserves what he did to her. No one.
1: You could sleep with the whole town and drink a fifth a day. That doesn't mean anyone has the right to put their hands on you. Exactly.
0: Did this asshole have anything to say for himself?
1: His lawyer advised him not to because he didn't think Jeff could add anything and it would hurt his case. Jurors deliberated for nearly six hours before presenting their verdict. When the jury read the verdict of guilty of second-degree murder, Jeff showed little reaction at all. He had been out on bail, living his life for two years between committing the crime and awaiting trial. Jeff never looked up as he was arrested and led out of the courtroom. Ashley's sister was overcome with emotion, knowing that the man who controlled, beat, and murdered her sister was going to prison for a long time. The family would have been happier with first-degree murder, but they accepted the guilty verdict as a win anyways. Jeff's lawyer was happy with the verdict, and now that the trial was over, he felt free to express how disturbed he was by the photos of Ashley's bruised and beaten body. He told the media that his sympathies go out to Ashley's family, and he's sorry she lost her life. Following the trial, Jeff still had the sentencing hearing to decide the details of his punishment. Ashley's father and sister broke down on the witness stand as they told the judge how the trial and the murder of Ashley had impacted their lives. They pleaded with the judge to give Jeff the harshest sentence possible. Jeff's father, Ray, promised the judge that when Jeff finishes his sentence, he would become a law-abiding citizen. Judge James Lammy had no mercy on Jeff. He handed down the harshest sentence allowed by the law, 25 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Good.
0: I don't have any idea how the jury could possibly have been convinced to feel sorry for him enough to choose second-degree murder instead of first degree. But at least he went to prison and will be there for a long time.
1: I just love how his father promised his shit son would be a law-abiding citizen after viciously murdering an innocent woman and beating her on a daily basis. Like, this is partially on you, buddy. That was your seed.
0: (laughs) Ashley's poor family not only lost her forever, but had to sit through a trial where the defense tried to shit on her character, too.
1: The battle isn't over. On November 17th of 2007, the estate of Ashley Scott filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Jeff on three counts—battery, outrageous conduct, and negligently causing Ashley's death. The complaint doesn't ask for a specific dollar amount, but instead requests punitive damages as well as damages for the value of Ashley's life, for pain, suffering, and funeral medical expenses, too.
0: On average, more than one in three women and one in four men in the U.S. will experience rape— physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner. Just under 15% of women and 4% of men in the U.S. have been injured as a result of intimate partner violence. Nearly half of all women and men in the U.S. have experienced psychological aggression by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We don't want it to be true, but domestic violence is extremely common. At least three women are murdered every day by a current or former partner in the U.S. Many of those victims don't get justice in the end, and very few are ever talked about in the media.
1: The holidays can be an especially dangerous time for those in abusive relationships. No one deserves abuse of any kind for any reason. If you need help or if you're concerned about a loved one, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline. The hotline's advocates are always there to listen without judgment and help you begin to address what's going on in your relationship their services are always free and available 24 7. please call 1-800-799-SAFE that's 1-800-799-7233 or you can text start to 88788 or you can visit the website at thehotline.org
0: to view images information and sources from this case visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Elena. Be sure to check out our Instagram at crimeandconjurepodcast for our question of the week. Steph, what's our bonus Conjure tip? I want to share warning signs directly from the National Domestic Violence Hotline website about how to recognize the signs of relationship abuse. At the start of a new relationship, it's not always easy to tell if it will later become abusive. In fact, many abusive people appear like ideal partners in the early stages of a relationship. Even one or two of these behaviors in a relationship is a red flag that abuse may be present. They are telling you that you never do anything right, showing extreme jealousy of your friends or time spent away from them, Preventing or discouraging you from spending time with friends, family members, or peers. Insulting, demeaning, or shaming you, especially in front of other people. Preventing you from making your own decisions, including about working or attending school. Controlling finances in the household without discussion, including taking your money or refusing to provide money for necessary expenses. Pressuring you to have sex or perform sexual acts you're not comfortable with pressuring you to use drugs or alcohol, intimidating you through threatening looks or actions, insulting your parenting or threatening to harm or take away your children or pets, intimidating you with weapons like guns, knives, bats, or mace, and finally destroying your belongings or your home.
1: The sad truth is the system doesn't have victims of domestic violence back as much as they pretend to have it, especially once kids are involved. Do yourself a favor and be your biggest advocate and get out and get far away. Surround yourself with loved ones and always let someone near you know what's going on. Document everything. You have no idea when you'll need it. All right, conjurers, we're on a break for a while, but keep an eye out this Christmas for another bonus episode to hold you over until season four. Until Until next time, time, stay stay vigilant, vigilant, conjurers. conjurers.